that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. All right. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. I'm here. You're here. We're here together. That's always the exciting time for all of that. So good to see all of you and be here together. We're going to take a few moments and pray and just ask God's blessing on our time. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your love for us. We thank you, God, for your care over us. We thank you that you show us massive amounts of patience and grace give you thanks that you care for us in every aspect of our lives. And so tonight we give you the thanks and praise that are due your name and we ask that you would bless this time. We ask God that you would uh, redeem the time that we spend here tonight in revelation, understanding, growth in you. Pray, Father, to change into our lives. We ask you that these would be times where you speak right to an issue that's going on with us. You speak into our hearts, you speak into our minds, you speak into our souls. Just pray, Father, that tonight we'd be open to receive all that you want to say and all that you want to do. We ask you to be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles or some form of an electronic Bible, or there may be a Bible that will be on the table that's in front of you, open up to First Chronicles 28. First Chronicles 28. Let's go with uh, First Chronicles 28 and verse 5. So you can read that. Alright, so this is uh, coming down toward the end of the life of David. And he, the chief priests and the Levites, they were gathered into Jerusalem and he was giving uh, 
just some of his instruction so that they would understand what was to happen next. Uh, and so in his sickness, he spoke to uh, Levite chief priests, and he was talking to them about the building of the temple. And as you know the story, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, but the Lord said no. He had too much blood on his hands. And so then, uh, the task would then be transferred to his son, who was Solomon. And so he was opening up the door, opening up the chief priests and the Levites to this idea that Solomon was going to be the next king. Now, why we need to open the door to that? Well, you have to think about that for a second. Of all of David's sons, out of all of them, God chose Solomon. And it was the choice of God to choose him. Now, you can look. Somebody turn real quick. Y'all don't need to turn here, but First Chronicles 3, 1 through 9. First Chronicles 3, 1 through 9. It's all a bunch of names, so just butcher them and follow through. Ethan, sons of David, born to him in Hebron. The firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahimelech, the son of Shimei, the son of sons would get 25% and 25%. So in other words, the firstborn son 
got twice as much, that's what the double portion means, as every other son. Does that make sense to everybody? Do you understand the concept of the double portion? So you have 25% to 50%. So, legally, the firstborn son had specific, God-given, God-decreed, God-ordained rights as the firstborn son. So, regardless of that, which that's important, like I said, the firstborn son in a monarchy, and now this goes across cultures. Now that's, that's specific to the Jewish culture. Going across cultures, the firstborn son is normally next in line for the monarchy. Except for this. And this is what I was trying to say, that David had to speak to the chief priest and the Levites so that they could understand, like, this is God's choice. This has to do with the rebuilding, this, or not the rebuild. this has to do with the building of the temple. This has to do with what God wants to do in putting up this house. And because it has to do with God, what God wants to do in putting up this house, I'm introducing you to the fact that we're going to break away from tradition. We're going to break away from the things that, you know, that, that are part of our culture, part of the law, and a part of everything else. And the next king is going to be Solomon. Now, what number was Solomon? Did you happen to catch that in the list? I mean, I can tell you because I, I counted it. He gets down the list. There's 19 sons. Solomon is number... Ten? I counted him as ten. Tenth in line. So in a line of succession, he'd be tenth in line. So nine other guys, nine other sons, are ahead of Solomon when it comes to who's next. Now I find this interesting because, especially those of us that have a higher degree of justice, and you've heard me talk about this quite a bit, People have a, a high degree of what they feel is just. And it depends on your personality. Some people are a lot stronger about this than other people. Uh, other people care less about it. It just depends on where you come from. It depends on how you're raised. It depends on just whatever it is that's inside of you that speaks to these kind of things. But if you have a high degree of justice, like and you really walk with that, you run into certain problems. And those problems, is, especially as a Christian, you're going to run into those problems all throughout the Scriptures. Because there's all kinds of things in the Scriptures that aren't fair. Not fair. Because God don't care. <laughs> I just rhymed that. Um, anyway, because He doesn't. And, and I know that we do because it provides a certain sense of order into our lives. In other words, this is how it works, this way it needs to work. And this way it needs it has to work this way. Well, that's not exactly how God works all the time. In fact, it's not how God works all the time. In fact, it's not how God works. <laughs> Keep eliminating words. It's not how God works. And why that's important for us to begin to lay down some of the bad ideas about that is that the way God works, the way He's always worked throughout 
whatever you want to look at it, the history of God, the history of, of God's people, the history of his interactions with people, the way that he works is that he works by grace. And he works by his will. It's when we begin to inflict on him our sense of justice. It comes from us that we can't seem to understand grace. It's when we begin to inflict on him our sense of what's fair that we can't understand his mercy. And we definitely can't receive it. And so that part of us that is that just part, that part of us that is that it's got to be fair part, hinders us from actually living in the grace and the mercy that God has for us. That's important. It's important for two reasons. One, we need to live in grace and mercy. That's number one. It's hard to exist without grace and mercy. It's hard to actually get anything done in the kingdom without grace and mercy. It's hard to allow God to use us or believe God can use us without grace and mercy. Those things are, are so key. They're such elements to the basic elements of, of what it is to be a Christian. Is understanding that, is taking hold of that, it is really allowing that to internalize into us that God deals with us on a basis of grace and deals with us on a basis of mercy. And then everything flows from there. Now, I like a high degree of order in my life, but things aren't fair. I flourish with a higher degree of order in my life because it helps me when I'm not all there. It helps me when I'm trying to do something else and I'm distracted. It helps me when I don't feel like doing anything. But I have a high degree of order, so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep going with it. Well, there's a difference between a high degree of order in your life and this idea of justice. So two different things. Because if you maintain your order, that's great. That's between you and you. Alright? You get that high degree of order, you can move in that, you can live in that. Um... You know, I was really thankful for the high degree of order in my life today. Because I've been mixed up all day. And I mean that. It's completely mixed up. It is. Uh, most, of, most of you know I was gone this past weekend. I was on an event where I was getting two hours of sleep. I, I went 24, got a couple hours of sleep, went 12 hours, got a couple hours of sleep, then went eight hours. And if that don't mess with your day, I don't know what it does. Okay, and so I woke up today at 11, 11 a.m. No idea what was going on. Zero. And but I needed to do certain things today. I needed to get things done so that I could go into tomorrow better. I could go in the next day better. Go in the next day better. And so what I did was once I was able to get up and start moving. I fell back into my orderly patterns. And I was just really thankful for that. Because I was doing stuff I wasn't even thinking about. Like I was, you know, I was putting supplements together, vitamins and whatever I take. Put it all together, my little daily things and all that stuff. It's like I wasn't even thinking about it, I was just doing it. Why? That's what I do on Mondays. I just usually do it, you know, four or five hours earlier. Six hours earlier. 
We're just thankful for that. And so I encourage a high degree of order in our lives. I do. It's worked for me for a lot of years to get the most done of what I got to do it with. But this sense of justice, the sense of everything's got to be fair, it's going to make you bitter. It's going to make you angry. It's going to make you frustrated. It's going to make bad decisions, even self-destructive decisions. It's going to end up hurting. But ultimately, we're created in the image and likeness of who? God. And how does He flow with this stuff? Grace and mercy. If He lives, and I want you to really think about this, because I know something else we've found in your head over the years, but if He lived in the that high degree of justice and, and and that high degree of fairness, the way that you think of it, the way that we've been taught to think of it as human beings, none of us would have one shred of hope. Nobody in the Old Testament would have had one shred of hope. Ever. See, David knew he didn't live like that. David knew God wasn't like that. Because when he came right down to it, if he was going to put, he was going to put himself, he's going to put himself in the hands of man, or is he going to put himself in the hands of God? Who do you think? God. You know why? Because God's nicer. <laughs> and he says that God's nicer than other people. And so he, he put himself. It's like that's his choice because. He really believed it. He really understood it, that God is nicer. He really understood that God is dealing with him in grace and mercy. He really understood that. And so he put himself in the hands of God. And if it's how you're made, in, in God's image and likeness, if that's how you're made, doesn't it make sense that you're going to flourish there? Doesn't it make sense that you can live in that and actually enjoy life? Doesn't it make sense that that's the spot you want to be in because it's what you were made to do? It's who you were made to be. I mean, all that makes sense to me is that you're fulfilling the purposes for which you have been made and created. Now, people ask, so, so Andy, you're talking about people in the Old Testament and New Testament? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So, so God in the Old Testament. Yeah, Him. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. I mean, the amount, just the sheer amount of time it would ever take him to move in any situation. Hundreds of years. Giving people every single opportunity to do something else. Always. 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 You know, you know half, and probably more than half, I don't even know how to put a number on this, but I want you to think about that one of the keys to receiving grace and mercy is to believing that God has grace and mercy for you. And I know that sounds stupid, but it's the fact. David received grace and mercy from God because he believed it. He expected it. He knew it. He understood it. He lived it. And so when David sinned, there was grace and mercy. 
When David sinned by counting the people, there was grace and mercy. He put himself in the hands of God to do that. And if you look at the life of David, all the things that he did, didn't do, and all the rest of that, grace and mercy all the time. But he lived in it. He lived in it. I fully expect grace and mercy in my life. Always. And then I, I, I depend on it. I need it. Not only do I want it, I need it, I expect it, and, and God pours out grace and mercy in my life all the time. Does that mean everything always goes my way? No. Does that mean I get everything I want? No. But it's a change in perspective and attitude where we're not trying to make everything fair all the time. We're recognizing how that works in our favor. That everything's not fair. We recognize that how it works in our favor that everything doesn't always end up the same way as when it started. Like it's not necessarily the letter of the law. That works in our favor. Because I mean, when the cop pulls you over for speeding and he lets you off with a warning, see, that worked in your favor, right? Yeah. So the next time you see somebody speed by, try not to say, uh, look at him, he's going too fast. Bet you he gets pulled over. <laughs> or I hope he gets pulled over. You know, him, you not getting a ticket worked in your favor. Why do you care about him? So David proclaimed to these guys, God chose Solomon. God chose Solomon. In fact, the, the actual wording there is, then God chose. Then God chose Solomon. And then David uses this phrase in here, it says, the throne of the kingdom of the Lord. That's unique to the Old Testament. Old Testament scriptures. The throne of the kingdom of the Lord. And it has in it the idea of the way the Jewish people saw their nation, and in many ways the same way they see their nation now, is that it is a theocracy. And the king was really just someone that was representative of who God is. He's representative of God, representative of the Lord, but they're nation was ruled by God. He was the only true and the only real king over the nation. And so that's why David is talking about the throne of the kingdom of the Lord. Well, that's the throne of the rule and reign of God. That God rules and reigns through that throne or that person who sits on the throne. Not the other way around. And so whoever's on the throne was responsible to hear from God and implement what God was saying. Whoever's on the throne was responsible for bringing the word of God to the people. Who was on the throne was responsible for the course of the nation and responsible to be doing God's will, which is what David was doing right here. And so they picked Solomon. God picked Solomon. Not they. God picked Solomon. And like I said, he wasn't the eldest son. He was number 10 out of 19. He was right in the middle there. Uh, he wasn't because David liked him more. It wasn't because David favored him more. 
it was he was chosen by God. It was the, his express will that Solomon would become king. So if you ever wondered how does that happen? At a 19 son Solomon, kind of in the middle there, he became the king. How that happened? Because God said so. Because God chose him. Well, I thought the firstborn had specific rights. Okay, now you're in a justice conversation. Right? Well, if the firstborn had specific rights, then how could he choose Solomon? Because he does what he wants. That's why. That's why, because he does what he wants. Now, who was Bathsheba? Yeah. And so how did she become the wife of David? David had Uriah killed, right. So Bathsheba was David's bride via murder. Which is exactly what it was. She was his bride via murder. But this is also a really appropriate symbol of grace. David understood something about who he was. And here's what he understood. That it wasn't David's ambition. It wasn't his valor. And it wasn't his merit that led to his enthronement. At least he didn't believe it was any of those things. And the argument could be made that, you know, he, he was ambitious. It could be. But you really don't see too much of that during his life, before or after he was king. You could make an argument that he showed a lot of valor, even as a, a young man going up against Goliath and killing a giant. When all of Israel, they, they wouldn't even... Even, even try. They would cower in fear. And he stood up to this giant and he killed him. Uh, you could see his valor in war. I mean, you don't kill your tens of thousands of people uh, if you don't have a certain amount of valor. You don't lead campaigns of war unless you have a certain amount of valor. You're not victorious as much as, much as he was if you don't have a certain amount of valor. So it could be argued that he had that it could be argued that he had a certain amount of merit, leadership skills. He's kind of guy people want to follow. He wanted to know God more. He wanted to worship God more. He, he had certain things about him that made him perfect to be the king over Israel. He just did. And it could be argued those things are the case also. But I want you to think about it from David's perspective. That even though all of those things could be argued, even though all of those things could be said, you look at David and it wasn't his ambition in his heart or his valor or his merit that led to his enthronement. You can argue all those things that were true, but that wasn't in him. Because what was true in him is that one day the prophet Samuel came to his father's house and he examined every one of Jesse's sons, David's father, to the point that Jesse forgot David was even around. So Samuel said, hey, don't you have one more son? He's like, oh yeah, he's out, he's out tending the sheep. 
I'll send for him. And so he came fresh in off the field, tending the sheep, and this prophet Samuel took some oil and poured it over his head. He said, you're the king. That's David's perspective. And so the difference between those two perspectives is this, that David was a king before he did anything. David was a king before he, he ever showed leadership or any of the rest of those kind of things. He, he was chosen to be king. God sent his servant, the prophet, to, to anoint him as king. He was chosen to be king. And he was willing to accept that choice. It was the grace of God. That God came and he chose the tribe and he chose the family and he chose the person. Not a well-known family. Not a rich family. Not, not a family from, to that point, any kind of royal background or anything else. Just was who he was. He was the youngest son. The youngest. Not the oldest son in that family. But he was the youngest. And so he was chosen and anointed king by the grace of God. Now, what I'm trying to help you understand is that's David's perspective. And again, do you understand what I'm saying about justice? Who should have been the, the person he chose as king? The eldest son. He had the more rights. He had the more standing. He had the more social standing. And that would have been Jesse's pick too. That's why he put him up front. Here he is. Daniel's like, not that one. Okay, here's my second born. Not that one either. Here's my third born. Nope. Fourth, you know, you start going down the line. Because in his mind, that's the, that's, that's the just thing to do. That's the fair thing to do. You got all these older sons, and the way that they understood it in their culture is that they're the next in line, they're the next in line. Well, they went all the way to the end. To the one that dad forgot about out in the field. And he was the one. That's the grace of God. That is the grace of God. So he chose the tribe. He chose the family. He chose the person. And then you get to Solomon. Solomon, 10th in the line out of 19. God's choice. God's choice. Not David's choice. That was God's choice. And so what this all comes down to, and this is where I want to get with this tonight, is are we willing to accept God's choice? I mean, when I'm talking about other people, that's one thing. And I'm talking about David or Solomon, or y'all understand that. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. David, he was this, or Solomon, he was that. These are all Bible stories. I mean, they're real accounts of people's lives, though. And they're a real account of how God works. And they're a real account of how God does things. And they're a real account that, that begins to build a theology. It begins to build an understanding of grace and mercy into our lives. Now, I know some of you are brought up in some religious experiences. And in many of those religious experiences, they weren't building a foundation of grace and mercy throughout the Bible. 
And so when you read the Bible and then you looked at certain things or it was interpreted for you and they preached on it or whatever was happening, you looked at it and was like, oh, wow, he's judgmental, he's mean, he's waiting for me to mess up. All these things could be, you know, whatever these thoughts are about God, but that's not how he revealed himself. He revealed himself as a God of mercy and grace. His choice. He revealed himself as the one who picked the tenth in line or the one that picked the last in line. His choice. The second and third king of Israel were last in line and tenth in line. <laughs> Not going by tradition. Not going by the way things were done. Last in line and tenth in line. Those are the second and third kings of Israel. And so we, we look at stories, and Jesus tried to help people get this. You see, after the, the second time, that, that after the captivity, when, when Israel was hauled off to Babylon, they came back, and there were, there were some great reforms that were put in. And, and so they, they, they got all these reforms, and, and all of a sudden they became stricter than strict. So we're never going to let this happen again. We're never going to let it happen again that we're going to be run away after idols. We're never going to let it happen again that we're going to be distracted by other people's religions. We're never going to let it happen again where our religion is going to fade on us and die out. But we're going to know the Scriptures. We're going to live the Scriptures. We're going to memorize the Scriptures. We're going to do all these things. And we will stand firm. Well, that's what they did after the second time they were taken into captivity. And so they're like, okay, no more of this. We're done with it. And so they put all these reforms in place well, by the time Jesus got there, they had a real system. It was like a real system. This is what you do when you do it. And this is how you do it. This is what you look like. This is what you sound like. This is who you are. And Jesus came in, and he had something to say about that. And he told a parable, and most of you know this parable, where a, a guy had a bunch of work to be done. And so he went out and he hired people. And, and you've heard me talk about this. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he went out and hired people at 6 in the morning. He said, I'll give you a talent of silver if you work for me all day at 6 at night. You got, I got some work to do. Would you be willing to come and work? Yeah, okay. And they came and worked. Then at 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and he made a second round. He's like, hey, I got some work. Work for me the whole day until 6 o'clock. I'll give you a talent of silver. And, and you can work for me. And then we get this job done. All right. Noon, we're back out again. He's like, any more workers? Anybody want to work? I'll, noon to six, I'll pay you a talent of silver if you come help me out and do this. You get all the way down five o'clock, one hour before it's time. He's like, he went out and he got some people. He said, hey, you willing to work for me? I'll give you a talent of silver to work until six o'clock. Let's get this done. Well, the guy that started at six in the morning came and he said, hey, I started at six in the morning. And this guy started at 5 in the afternoon, but we're getting paid the same. I should get paid more. And the owner said, why? You agreed to work for a talent, right? Yeah. And the one at 9, you agreed to work for a talent, right? Yeah. And the one at noon, you agreed to work for a talent? Oh, okay. And the one at 5, you agreed to work for a talent, right? Okay. Well, that's the way it goes. Is that fair, though? You know, depending on your sense of justice, think about that. Is that fair? Right. No. 
No, you work, one guy worked 12 hours, one guy worked one hour, and they got paid the same. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. And that's why it's important for us to get a hold of that sense of justice. In it. I mean, it's no, it's no mistake Jesus was telling the story. Why do you think he's telling the story? Why? What's he trying to tell them? Yeah, they're screwed up in their thinking. They're, they're thinking about the wrong thing. They, they're majoring on the wrong thing. In other words, everything has to be this, this, and this. And that's all there is to it. Well, no. And he said, that's how God works. That's not how God works. I mean, you go down a list of stuff. You know, Old Testament, New Testament. Think about, like, the thief on the cross. The malefactor? The guy that was crucified with Jesus? Showed some faith there at the end? He's like, oh, behold, you'll be with me today in paradise. You know how many Christians I meet that aren't sure that he got saved? Because it wasn't fair. Because these other people have lived their whole lives. These other people have done, uh, you know, they're dying for their faith or whatever. These other people, they... They, they show more faith in their life than this guy. So this guy makes one decision at the end of his life, and boom, he's in. Well, brother, don't you have to be baptized in order to get into heaven? Well, that guy wasn't baptized. Yeah, well, don't you need to be, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit? That guy wasn't, that we know of, no. Well, don't you have to do this? No. Don't you have to do that? No. Don't you have to do this? No. Don't you have to do that? No. What do you have to do? Well, what did he do? He believed. So the faith. Jesus received him in. Why you gotta make it complicated? Huh? Why we gotta make it complicated? Why? And I always go to the thief on the cross, man. Anytime somebody starts arguing with me about something or some stupid thing comes up, I always go to that guy. Why you gotta make it complicated? Why? It ain't that complicated. God loves you. He has grace for you. He wants to pour out that grace into your life. Let him. Yeah, but I didn't do this, this, and this. Neither did that guy. He just didn't. He didn't. He was on a cross. He died on a cross. He didn't do any of those things. Well, I don't do this. Neither did he. So what? I bet you if you're the guy that worked one hour and you still got a talent of silver, you'd have taken it, wouldn't you? Well, you need to take some grace and mercy. You need to take some grace and mercy. You need to receive that. Like so you get a, a, a silver coin in your hand for an hour of work, and that guy just worked 12 hours for it. You need to receive that. Live in it. Enjoy it. Because all this comes down to you and me through Christ. You're chosen by grace. Not because you're the firstborn. Not because of your merit. Not because of your, your ambition. Not because of your valor. It's the gift of God. That's how it works. He chooses you as a gift. His own free will. He gives you opportunity. Not because you're first, but you might be last. Or you might be somewhere in the middle. You might be 10 out of 19 or... Whatever it was, however you're evaluating yourself. 
Maybe you're not the smartest. Maybe you're not the best looking. Maybe you don't know as much Bible as other people. I don't know. I don't even know what thing people think anymore about what you need to have in order to move forward. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that we need to get a hold of this idea of grace and mercy for our lives. Not just as something that Jesus said, because that would be good enough if it was just something that Jesus said. But it's more than that. It's how God has revealed himself throughout the scriptures. It's, it's how God has revealed himself throughout his interactions with people. So God has revealed himself over and over and over again because it's who he is. You want to make him into somebody else? And you just made that up. It's who he is. It's who he wants to be in your life if you allow it. If you receive it. Like I was talking about David. It's like, you know, he believed it. And so he lived in it. And you need to believe in that grace. You need to believe in that mercy. You need to believe that's what God has for you. If you're ever going to enjoy it and live in it. And find peace and rest and grace in it gotta believe it. Simple. So again, as I said, I mean Solomon's a great representative of that because Bathsheba's mom was only David's wife because he murdered somebody to get her. But Solomon's redeemed out of that. Right? That the beginnings of however that all started was all bad, but it turned out good. Because you say, well, you don't know about you know my life and all the things I've done. Yeah, you're right. I mostly don't want to know. <laughs> unless you need to talk to somebody. Which is fine. But I don't need to know. Most stuff. Because we all come from somewhere, but no matter where you come from, that grace and that mercy is still there. It's just sitting there waiting for us to live in. Just waiting. God chose you. You know, you, how do I know that? Well, the Bible says that. You're a chosen people. You. A chosen person. So you know it. Why did he choose you? Don't worry about it. Grace and mercy. But it wasn't because of your valor or your merit. It wasn't because you're the best. Nothing like that. Just because he wants that's the only reason. And he does. That's why he said he chose. So let's just pray. I'm going to pray that God really solidifies some of this into your heart, into your mind tonight. Because I know I talk about this quite a bit, but I think it's one of the hardest things that people have to overcome in their lives is really entering into God's grace and mercy for them. One of the most difficult things. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have a truth for us to live in. And that is that you're a God of grace and you're a God of mercy. I thank you that you have a truth for us to live in that we don't need to live as a people of supreme justice. Thanks. You said in the back of that the just shall live by faith. So God, I thank you that faith 
becomes the key element in our lives. So God, tonight I pray that you begin to open our hearts and open our minds to what it is to live in grace and mercy. I pray you begin to open our spirit to what it is to live in grace and what it is to live in mercy tonight. For God, I ask you that we'd be a people that would find that truth. We'd be a people that would find that love. We'd be a people that would find that place with you. It really has nothing to do with our ranking and nothing to do with our valor. It has nothing to do with our merits. It has nothing to do with our ambition. But it has everything to do with your choice. So we thank you for choosing us, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and all that the Bible says about who we are. But thank you for choosing us. Thank you for choosing me just because you wanted to. So tonight I pray that you begin to drive that home even more. We can live in it. We can exercise it. I pray, Father, that you bring us peace and rest and joy through that knowledge and that understanding. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, let's be by saying amen. 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 All right. God bless you tonight. Thanks for coming. Good to see everybody. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.